Hi everyone, thanks for tuning into this brand new episode of The Stories We Tell. My name is Nicole Asinogo and I'm your host. Today, I'll be speaking to award-winning Sudanese writer Leila Abulela. As one of the most prolific African writers in the world, I'm so honored to have her as my guest. She drops too many gems to count and I know this conversation is going to inspire many of you. Hi, Leila. Hi, Nicole. How are you doing today? Fine, fine, doing fine. So good to have you on this podcast. It's really, really an honor to have you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so are you in Scotland right now? Yes, I'm in Aberdeen. And actually, we are back in lockdown. Because, oh, really? yes, we've had a spike uh, in, in, in cases um you know so we are kind of like after so we've had made it one step forward and then we're now back again so it's a shame Uh, such a shame how have you been just dealing with the lockdown and this whole craziness of the world right now oh well you know at the beginning of course it was a big uh, shock but uh, after a while I kind of got used to it and uh um I've decided to use it as a way of you know getting more writing done so I'm really now quite you know deep into a new novel I'm writing and uh, because I don't have to like travel or anything so it's easier to focus so I'm actually it's, it's, I feel it's been good good for my writing now oh really yeah and so a lot of people like so when the when the lockdown started like globally a lot of people were like, you know, this is the time to write your novel or start that podcast or do all these things. And there was a lot of creative pressure on people. Do you find that like um, it was hard initially to be creative, but now you're kind of settling into it or? Yes, it was very hard initially. I couldn't, the, the first month maybe, I was just like so overwhelmed with, and all I did was just like read the news and follow the news and, I couldn't at all uh, do any writing. Um, It took me a long, long time to get back into writing. And actually, I couldn't even read. I couldn't settle to read, um, you know, long, uh, you know, pieces. I was only reading like short stories. And, And even that didn't get, I'm not really back into reading um, properly, actually, since the lockdown uh, started. But I've managed to to start uh, writing, so it did. It t- took a quite quite a long time. It took quite mm-hmm. a long time, yeah, to get used to it. Yes, I've heard quite a lot about reader's block. Mm. <laughs> yeah, and people don't talk about it a lot, but it's a thing. It is a thing. It is a thing, and I haven't. I didn't really experience it much in my life, but this time I did experience it. And uh, certainly it's just about not being able to focus, you know, of, of the you're 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 caught up really with what is around you. What's happening is 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 seems to be more important than anything that's that can be found in fiction. Mm. So that's what happened in my case. But I actually found short stories to be um, a good way of getting back into reading because they're short and, and they don't require uh, you know, hours and hours of, of focus. You can you can just in one sitting you can finish a short story. So I I've, I've kind of made my way back 
uh, through reading short stories, which was nice because I do love uh, short stories. Right, and you've written like two sto short story collections, right? Uh, yes, I have. The first one uh, was called Colored Lights, but then like half of the stories in Colored Lights, because Colored Lights went out of print, so half of the stories were are now included in the new one, which is called Elsewhere Home. Okay. So the collection Elsewhere Home has uh, half of it is is stories that were previously uh, published in Colored Lights, and and half of it is brand new stories. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Great. So okay. So for me, I'm Nigerian, mm -hmm. and I was born in the UK, um, and I went to school in both Nigeria and England, and now I live in Dubai, mm -hmm. um, and identity for me like I've always just identified as a Nigerian um so I've never really I never really thought about identity or addressed it or what it means to me mm. um, until I actually read um actually some of your books actually okay um, like bird summons made me start thinking of identity in such a different way mm. and just like just the layers and like how you show up in the world and you know how you present yourself or the experiences that have made you who you are yes um, yeah so I was just wondering like how your identity because you write a lot about um identity um and how that has shaped the stories that you tell yeah well I grew up in in, in Khartoum in Sudan and I, uh, you know, I went to a private school, which was in, which we were taught in English. And uh, we came, we spent, you know, summers in London. And I actually met my husband when I was very young. And his mother, his father is Sudanese, but his mother is, is English. Mm. So I kind of thought of myself as being very sort of Sudanese, yes. And my mother is Egyptian, yes, definitely. But I'm fairly, you know, westernized. So when we moved to Scotland, uh, after we got married and after we had uh, children, I thought, oh, it, I didn't think it would be any kind of challenge at all. I, I really thought it would be very easy to fit in. But I found it hugely challenging. Mm -hmm. And so this is what made me then um, start to, you know, question, you know, my identity and how I feel about things and the culture shock and, and, and also at the time when we moved, which was the early 1990s, it kind of coincided with this, um, uh, the first uh, Gulf War and this the start of this anti-Arab, anti-Islam sentiments in the Western you know, media. Mm -hmm. So that was just kind of beginning to take off um, the very early stages of Islamophobia, which I mean, even then we didn't have an, this kind of name for it. So I was kind of living this uh, wave, and uh, so it it it, uh, it kind of made me very uh, aware of, of of who I was and and uh, the challenges of setting up a new uh, you know life. So I I was just wondering when you were telling me about yourself about your move to Dubai mm -hmm. and uh, whether that made you think of yourself differently. Oh, wow, that's a good question. Um, <laughs> um, to be honest, so I work for um, the next World Expo that is happening in Dubai. Okay. And so I tell stories for, I 
work with countries, a lot of African countries, um, to basically create narratives for their pavilions. Mm. Um, yeah, so it was interesting because it was the first time that I had to do research on countries like from South Sudan to Seychelles yeah. to Mozambique. And these are like countries that I just had zero affiliation with. Yeah. And realized that I didn't have an African identity. Oh. Or didn't really feel African. I always kind of felt Nigerian. Mm, I see what you mean. Yes, yes. Right. And, and then, you know, realizing that, oh, actually, we do have similarities. We have a lot of differences. Mm. But we do have um, a lot of similarities as well. Yes. And... I think that made me almost feel a little bit more part of the continent. Mm, mm. When you move, you start to, um, you see that other people look at you differently than how you've looked at yourself, maybe all your life. And then you, that kind of reshapes how you see yourself. I remember uh, Chimamanda Adichie saying that she didn't think of herself as, as black until she reached the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think a lot of us also have that, uh, that, that, that feeling. I also, when I came to the UK, I, I didn't, the word black, I thought the word black referred only to uh, people of West African, West Indian heritage, you know, Jamaicans. Mm. Uh, I thought that, but but that we were African, but they were black. I just I didn't um, I didn't understand the the, the word uh, the, the black the way I understand it now. And uh, so it's it changes your uh, your your outlook when you suddenly realize that um, you know you're in a new place and uh, you 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 do share uh, certain experiences and certain characteristics with with. Uh, with other people that you didn't really think about as you were kind of like growing up and uh, yeah sometimes also when uh, the 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 first I only visited the United States twice and I'm once I get there I'm always I always feel very British when I when I uh, you know when I go to America because I'm always like yeah I have this really British response to things you know and feeling that oh they're so American and and I am um, suddenly I become very British so it's kind of strange it is strange and it is also interesting how like you said yeah when you move to a place it's how people see you that makes you then see yourself differently or see yourself for exactly as who you are yeah that's right Right. Um, I wanted to ask a little bit about your character. So for me, um, you know, like as a screenwriter, you know, um, when people read or when people watch a movie, they're mm. very either invested in the character or not invested in the character. And, you know, someone actually um, was giving me like some criticism. Yeah. My characters for a film that I wrote and she said that the character for her didn't have a core wound. And the core wound for her is, you know, what is it in this person's life um, that has made them who they are today? Or what mm-hmm. are they scared of? What has what trauma have they experienced? And mm-hmm. 
yeah and i find that with books and i would use yours specifically you know they're very character driven women that and not and flawed characters as well you're not afraid mm. to create a flawed character so i wanted to ask you about your process of just character creation and and how that even like became and developed as you as you navigated the writing world well i'm i'm very interested in people i mean i'm very interested in 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 people and analyzing them and uh and how they think how they change uh, and and when i read fiction i also i gravitate towards uh character driven fiction so whereas i can i can appreciate uh, books that are driven by ideas or driven by you know stories or I, I, I'm always aware that um, for me personally, I feel there's something missing because, uh, you know, the, the, this isn't about the character. This is about, uh, the, 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 this is a novel which is a, about ideas or this is a novel which is about voice or this is, you know, um, a novel about, um, it's, a, it's a, you know, it's a, just a different, a different style of, 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 of writing. And I appreciate that it is successful and it's all right, but I I, I do like the the, the character-driven novel. So, so I'm kind of like starting from that. I think the problem with what this friend said to you is that if, if you're like making these things in an artificial way, if you're like, you know, plonking something on this character of yours, mm. it, it, it doesn't feel organic enough. I think it needs to be organic. Um, it shouldn't be that you um, that you're kind of like uh, dressing them up. You know what I mean? Mm. Uh, <laughs> it's not this. It's not this game. Remember, we used to have. This, I don't know. Maybe you're very young, but in the '70s, we had this really cute game where you get a, a paper cut of a doll and you keep tagging and putting all these clothes on the doll. <laughs> okay. <So> yeah, <laughs> it's kind of fun. But so it shouldn't be like that. And I remember recently somebody told me also that they were doing a master's class uh, in creative writing and they were told that they should build the character by imagining their suitcase and what they would put in their suitcase. Okay. So kind of, I thought oh, that's really sort of artificial, mm. you know, this kind of thing. I don't know what my characters put in their suitcase. I don't care. But, <laughs> and people are telling me I'm, I'm you know, good at, at, at writing about characters, but I have no clue, clue what they'll be carrying in their, in their, in their suitcase. So <laughs> I'm not. I think it needs to be. Um, I need it it, 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 it. it should be a little bit more organic, and I think maybe one way of doing it is spending time thinking about these characters. Mm. It's like you know, hanging out with them in a kind of imaginary way, that you are in their in their space, sort of in 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 their trying to be inside their thoughts, inside how they would see things, mm. um, seeing things through their eyes. Um, and, and also noticing in day-to-day -day life how people respond so differently to the same situation. I find that fascinating. So you've got, you know, something that happens mm. and people respond in so many ways uh, to it. You know, like even this, let's say the coronavirus, so many people are now responding. I mean, some people are hate feeling trapped because they're at home. Some people... Um, you know, they're loving it. Some people are relieved. 
some people, you know, the, the differences in the variations in the responses, that's what tells us what the character is about, mm. you know, rather than, 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 um, than dressing up the character. Do you see what I mean? So in a way, the character, because people don't really know themselves that well. This is another thing that, that uh, Western society assumes that the, the, or brings up the ch uh, children to be very aware of themselves as individuals. We, we, we don't really do that. We are not like, uh, although maybe now nowadays people are like that, but I don't remember when I was growing up knowing what was my favorite color. What's your favorite color? What's your favorite film? What's your favorite <laughs> <laughs> right. What do you want to be when you grow up? It's just continuously, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, making the child sort of like uh, have specific likes and dislikes and and I think that 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 that's not really what character is about. It's this it's this sudden realization. So maybe maybe um, you could have an event in your novel or before your novel you could have it in your head but not on the paper but you could have something and then that reveals to you what the characters are like. Slowly mm -hmm. being peeled off, you know, suddenly this character is, you know, you know, actually relieved that there's a lockdown and they don't have to go out or they don't have to meet their friends and it's just an effort and they don't want to, you know, um, put on makeup or whatever. Or so it's the opposite. This character now feels that they are um, that they're trapped and they hate their flat. You know, they just actually <laughs> loathe it. You know, or or you know, some these things can slowly, slowly get us. We're 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 then caught up in their. Um, you know, in their particular situation, and we're, we're, we're like feeling it with them. Yeah. Mm. Wow, I love that. That makes so much sense. And mm. I love particularly what you said about people not really knowing themselves. Um, yeah. And inherently, that is so relatable. Because mm. sometimes I think when you do dress up characters, then it's very, it feels like acting, or it feels put on. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's so it is very much. Or you're sliding into a type then. Mm. Then you've got the type. Oh, he's the banker. He's so because he's a banker, he's you know, he only cares about money. He doesn't care about people. He's uh, this is all very cliched. We have it's mm. you know, it's it's not really true. That's not what we we life is 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 like. You know, there there's you know uh, there's differences in people. You don't really know if this, someone is a poet and someone is a banker. It doesn't mean that I know what they're like <laughs> just mm. because they're a poet or just because they're a banker. No, there's huge variations. Mm. So, uh, it's, you know, so it, it just, that's why you get a lot of this stereotypical, uh, you know, characterization sometimes that we find um in fiction or in or in in, in, in movies and, uh, and 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 then people pick up on on, on that yeah mm. and speaking of like stereotypes you know you mentioned something about you know how when um you moved and the whole climate shifted towards this more islamophobic kind of um, mm -hmm. portrayal in the media and a lot of your works just you know have front and center um your islamic spirituality so how have you like navigated that and how does that show up in your work? Yeah, well, I was one of the, the, the cultural shocks I got uh, moving from, you know, Sudan to the UK was um, 
was this move to a country, a very secular um, society. And uh, especially uh, Scotland can be also very secular. I mean, within the years I've been in Aberdeen, I've seen like um, two, two churches being um, turned into, uh, uh, into nightclubs. Wow. Yeah, and that really upset me a great deal, you know, mm-hmm. to, to, see the, to see the church becoming a, a, night, a night, nightclub. And, and the irony also, well, to, to them it was irony, for me it was even more of a shock, was they, they named them, in this, the, the, one of them was, was called the Soul Cafe. Mm. And one of them is called, <laughs> one of them is, is called the Ministry. Wow. It's a nightclub. Mm-hmm. So that to me is a huge shock because in, in, I came in, in, in Sudan as I was growing up. Not everybody around me was, was Muslim, but they were devout Christians. I mean, I went, the school I was in was, uh, was a Catholic mission school. So um, I was, uh, you know, the, ma- the majority of girls were Muslims, but there were many, there were many Christians and they were very devout uh, Christians. And there was, we lived near an Ethiopian Orthodox church, which was always, you know, full. And uh, so I had just, you know, grown up in this multi-religious uh, uh, um, society. And uh, to, to come to a place where people didn't have that, and not only didn't they ha- they didn't have it, they were actually hostile towards it. Mm. It took a long, it took, it was quite a shock for me. And it made me then realize that, that this is something that I actually value a great deal. And this is something that matters to me a great deal. And I didn't particularly know that. I mean, I wouldn't have described myself as being, um, you know, more religious than, you know, the average person in Sudan. I'm, I, I wouldn't have and. Uh, but but so, uh, but when you see something that you take for granted, and it's not there anymore, mm. that's when you notice and say, no, 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 I'm not taking this for granted again. This is actually quite precious, and this is something that I do want to pass on to my children, and this is something that I can't visualize living without, and uh, and so that, and I also began. I had always seen that the absence of, um, of course, of the way of Islam in in um, in literature. So I wanted to to put that in in in, in, the, in the stories that I was uh, writing. Mm. And when when did you write your first book? And how did the process of like getting a book deal? How did that all and getting published published? How did that come about? Well, I first started to write stories. Um, so the, the stories I wrote were the, some of them are, are, are published now in um, Elsewhere Home. So these were the first things that I wrote. So I started writing in 1992. And I started writing the stories, writing the stories. And then maybe in 90, yeah, 94, 95, I started writing my first novel, which was The Translator. Okay. And it took a couple of years to write. And even in the middle of it, I wrote, uh, in the middle of writing the translator, I wrote The Museum, my short mm-hmm. story, the, the, the Museum, which, which later on then won the, 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 the King Prize. And then after I, um, and then I managed to get an agent actually quite easily. I was very lucky in, in, in that, that I managed to get an agent. 
and and also because one of my short stories got published in an anthology of Scottish uh, writing. Mm. So when I finished writing my uh, novel, um, I sent it to my agent and she showed it around and it got a lot of rejections. So like for a whole year, uh, I was just getting all these rejections uh, for the novel. And then at the very end, it was uh, it was published by a small publisher in Edinburgh. And uh, so it came out in 1999. Oh, wow. Um, and in those times when you were getting rejections, what was that like? Oh, it was horrible. It was really, really very difficult to um, uh, to motivate myself, and I, 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 I think I found it difficult to write even because I was getting all these rejections, and I was always thinking, "Oh, I'm going to give up. I'm going to give up. I'm going to give up." But then something would happen that would give me a little bit of hope. You know, I'd get a nice rejection, for example, or, I'd get, <laughs> <laughs> or you know, one of my short stories was doing well, or. Uh, uh, I got a, a nice review for my short story or, or, you know, something would happen that there would be a bit of hope uh, to keep me, uh, to keep me going. Um, so it was, um, it wasn't, uh, it, it wasn't uh, easy. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Um, how was it winning the Kane prize? What, what did that do for you? Oh, it was a big, it made a big difference. It made, mm. it made a big difference. So I won it after uh, the novel was published. So after the translator was published and it was, uh, it was actually long listed for the Orange Prize in March. Wow. And then in July, uh, I won the, the, the King Prize. So it was very good for me because already I, you know, things were moving and, and so it, it kind of accelerated the process. Mm. So uh, after I won the prize, uh, I had I had given my short stories to the, to the same publishers, Polygon, and they were kind of like waiting on them. But then when I won the prize, they brought out the stories very quickly. They published them very quickly, which is maybe that was Colored Lights. And then I was able to move then after that to um, to Bloomsbury, who published my second novel, Minaret. So it and then I, I had a huge surge of self-confidence. and I did a lot of writing immediately after winning the, the, the King Prize. I was I was, uh, you know, I wrote Minaret. I wrote a lot of radio plays. I wrote more short stories. And so it was really, really quite a boost to my uh, self-confidence. Mm. That's interesting that you say that because I found that sometimes when I when I get um, so I won an award for my first screenplay. Mm. Um, it's called the Africa Magic um, Viewers Choice Awards. Okay. <laughs> um, but then afterwards, you know, I actually felt quite like um, like I couldn't. I, I didn't feel a confidence. I actually felt quite the opposite. So yeah. I felt like pressure and I felt like, oh my God, like, so now everyone's going to like compare and be like, oh, does this have to be an award-winning screenplay? Like the next thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So just dealing with like a lot of um, anxiety or like trying to compare. Um, and so I think what I had to do for myself was to just constantly um, tell myself that I, I wasn't in it for the awards in the first place. Yes. 
so that kind of just kind of to push that mentality out of the way because I find that even in writing workshops that I've been in when I get um really good feedback somehow that kind of like is worse for me well, okay yeah <laughs> <laughs> I don't know it's just a weird thing in my mind I'm like oh my gosh like I wrote one page doesn't mean I can write 300 you know yeah yeah it's interesting that's interesting yeah that's interesting yes people are so see that's it that's what I'm saying about the character people are so different (laughs) yes exactly exactly people are so different yeah (laughs) yeah um, but um I wanted to ask so in terms of um your do you know in the do you do you sometimes have a story and then just feel like maybe this isn't the right time to tell it Oh, I have lots of stories. I mean, the, 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 there's no end to the stories. There's no end to ideas. People mm. say, oh, about having a good idea. There's, there's tons of good ideas. Mm. Uh, it's just a matter of, 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 the, of being able to pull it off, I suppose, I would, would say. Mm-hmm. Uh, that mm-hmm. this is, yeah, this is a good idea or this is a good story, but will I be able to pull it off? Um, so what does pulling it off entail? <laughs> <laughs> um, would I be able to produce it? Would I be able to 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 put it on the on the page, mm. or will there be obstacles to that? As in, I really don't know that world. I mean, sometimes people, members of the family, say to me, "Well, write about. Why don't you write about this?" For example. Um, oh yeah, this, oh yeah, this came up recently. So uh, a number of years ago. And my husband was telling me about this woman in the second, she's a Pakistani woman, Indian, Indian, yeah, it was before the partition. So she's an Indian woman who worked for the British as a spy. And she, uh, I don't forget her name now. Um, she was actually killed. She eventually got caught spying on the Nazis. And she got caught and she got uh, killed. And so it's an amazing story. Who would have ever thought that there's this Indian, you know, uh, girl and she's working for the Nazis and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and I thought, wow, this is an amazing story. I'd love to, you know, read a novel about that. And, or, or, and then my husband said to me, well, you should write it. And I said to him, I have no access. It's a great idea, but I have no access to this world. I don't know, um, you know, what it's like to, to be a spy uh, I don't know what it's like to want to be. Mm. You know, this is it. I just can't relate to this person at all. I admire her wonderfully, and I think she's fantastic and everything. It's a wonderful story, but I just don't. I don't feel her feeling of wanting even to do it. Why would anybody? It just sounds crazy <laughs> <laughs> to me. It just, I just couldn't access her. I couldn't in mm. my mind. I couldn't access this character. Mm. Um, and so, I've, of course, I wouldn't even dream of of of, uh, of writing it. And of course, she comes from a different culture, and, and it's, it's just so uh, such a, a, a long, you know, distance between us. Yes. So now somebody's written a book about her, you know, and now there's going to be a film or something. And so I'm, I'm, my husband telling me, "Yeah, I told you, you should have got there first. But you know, I can't. I just, it is a wonderful idea, but I just, I can't. This is something I would not have been able to pull off. I just don't have the resources for it. Mm. So, That's, yeah, go ahead. 
That's so interesting. When I was um, younger, my first one of my first stories was set in Missouri <laughs> and about an African American family in Missouri. And my dad was like, "Where did this come from? Like, <laughs> where <laughs> have you ever been to Missouri? Have you ever?" And initially, you know, I was quite like adamant. I was like sixteen, and I'm like, "Well, you know, J.K. Rowling has never gone to Hogwarts, you know." It's That's just <laughs> my imagination, you know, but then um, later I, I came to understand really, and it's kind of like what you're talking about in the importance of relatability mm, and, mm. and you can write a, about what you don't know, but you have to be invested in the research. Yes. And like you said, the access. So it's really, really authentic. Um, so do you think the, the best stories um, or well for you are just stories or characters, situations that you can relate to as a person? Well, having said that, though, I mean, like I have written, like in The Kindness of Enemies, I wrote about this warrior in that in, in Dahistan, Imam Shamil in, in Chechnya, and I've never been there. And, I, and, I, and he's a warrior and I don't know what it's like to be, you know, uh, in the 19th century leading, a, a, you know, a jihad against the Russians. And I wrote about this Georgian princess and, and also these are characters that, of course, I have no, you know, um, again, I don't have access to them, but somehow I could relate to them for some reason or the other. There was something in the situation that I could relate to. I mean, this Georgian princess was a uh, was a mother and you know she had these small children and she uh, uh, was was kidnapped and she had to go to the mountains and, and to live with all these people who were very different than her and I kind of could relate to this mm. to this to her being a mother and I and I so I wrote about her as a mother I wrote about her as being in a place which is uh, um, you know different than what she was I in terms of him Imam Shamal, I wrote about him feeling threatened. I wrote, you know, I could relate to them in some ways, but, you know, if, so there is, you can have entry points. So even, the, mm. even if the character is completely different than you, as you were saying, that you don't know Missouri, but you could research that. You could watch films about Missouri. Mm -hmm. You could go on YouTube and, 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 or read books. And so the research is not a problem. The research can be overcome. It's just, that it's just needing a point of entry. Mm. Uh, you know that you need a, a, some kind of hook some kind mm. of um, you know re relatability it doesn't have to be everything about the character but maybe one thing mm. and then you can build upon that and, 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 and fill in the other uh, pieces mm -hmm. um, but if but it just depends what's in you if you have in you this relatability and you have in you this you know um, this feeling that oh yeah I really understand what what is going on in this situation or at the very or I am fascinated by this this situation mm. you know, obviously you were when you were writing about this uh, you know this character in Missouri you, you were fascinated by it because mm -hmm. because fascination is what drives this process of sitting and producing words and you know it's it is fascinating uh, so what you find personally fascinating. Uh, will will then give you um, the the drive and the energy to produce the work, but um, uh, so it's not enough just to say, oh, this is a great idea. You know, this is a you know, this is really a fantastic idea. 
there has to be a drive behind it. Mm-hmm. Wow, that I love that, and that makes so much that makes so much sense. In terms of writing, um, what is the toughest project you've had to you've ever had? Um, I find the first page very very tough. The blank page, like there's mm. you know just starting the first line, the first word is always like oh, really, am I going <laughs> to do this? Am I going to invest in this for years and years? Am I going to, oh, I find that very difficult. Once I get going, it, it just becomes easier and easier. And then once I have something on paper uh, and changing it to me is like the, the, the easiest and the most fun part. Mm. Uh, you know, the editing, I love that process of uh, of the editing or um, or feeling that I've already I'm already a quarter of the way through yay you know I can I can keep going uh, but it's always the very beginning that I find very difficult and I kind of procrastinate a lot before I start uh, something uh, new uh, I always uh, find yeah. that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think everyone can relate. I think every every single episode I've recorded, I've asked about procrastination just so that I can find tips for myself. Yeah. <laughs> and how yeah. to fix me. <laughs> um, wow, that's so... It's It's interesting because, you know, I think usually what stops people is really that first step you know Mm. just like actually just getting to that first page and if you can just get there then everything else will kind of flow from there yes yes yeah because then afterwards if you you can change things around you can you know uh, even if you reach a dead end you can you know move in a different direction you know there's there's things you can do but there's nothing you can do about a blank page a blank page is a blank page and so exactly exactly um how do you how do you navigate or how do you like um come fight against writer's block or do you even believe that it exists or is it just something procrastinators blame no, no, no. I think it does exist, as we were saying with, um, like, the beginning of the, the, the lockdown. Um, it's just if the world, if your life is so interesting and so um, fascinating and you're so busy, you know, you're caught up. It, it, if it's taking all your creativity, you really can't write. Mm. Um, and I think that uh, a lot of... Um, a lot of people sometimes who like to write, but they have other creative interests. I think that that there sometimes their creativity goes in that direction. You know, I, I I know women who 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 like to write, for example, who do write, but then just planning a birthday party for their child, they put they pour their creativity on it, on the birthday party, and then that that's that they're not writing because that's that's where the creativity went. So it's. Uh, that's a kind of block if your creativity is going elsewhere you know Mm -hmm. um, then you're not you don't have enough creativity to go in in, into the writing um or you're just worn out by 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 you know by other things and uh, sometimes also uh 
there's exhaustion. I mean, after finishing like a big project, sometimes you get this block because you're just tired. You can't, you can't do anything more because you've already um, gone through a whole big um, project. So sometimes after writing a, a novel, I find that I'm not writing. And in that that time, then I just read instead of write writing. Mm -hmm. I just, just continue to read. But then there's a, like what I call a technical block in the sense that I've written something. I've written, um, let's say, I've written two paragraphs, and then I I'm stuck. I don't know what to. The third paragraph isn't coming. So what I usually do, I found that that I kind of treated like I've driven my car down a dead end road, and I sort of reverse. So I, I delete the last line I've written or I delete the last paragraph I've written and I kind of like go in a different direction. Mm. And I find that that helps. That that usually gets rid of that kind of, uh, you know, technical block instead of, you know, trying to push, push, push through, through a, a thing. Through a dead end. Yeah, a dead end. It's just, it can't be bothered. So I'll just, just you know, reverse and, and move on to a different uh, that direction. And, and that, that, that usually works out. I love that. I love that idea of just reversing, just back it up. Yes. <laughs> and go the other way. You don't yes. go through this wall. Like, yeah, there's, there's so many ways of uh, telling a story. You know, you, you, you're not going to tell every single uh, minute, you know, um, there's there are bits that I'm missing there are bits that you're going to focus on more there are bits so there's so many ways and it's best to just go with the the, the flow and what you can do you don't need to particularly um you know deal with this with every single little bit of incidents I mean some things as as happens with the screenwriting it, it takes place off stage you see what I mean? So, yeah. So I think these decisions need to be made whether you're going to put it on stage or off stage, depending on, on, on uh, the, the flow and depending on what, what fascinates you as a writer. Mm. As, a, as a reader, what books would you say every writer should, should read or should have read? Mm. <laughs> no, that's a difficult question. There's all these lists isn't it there's all these now all these lists of the 100 best books and mm. they're getting overwhelming I'm like yeah, it's oh, overwhelming it's just I, overwhelming I, I, I guess think, maybe for you what books impacted you maybe that's a better question well I think yeah I was gonna say I was gonna say it might be best to find your your groove or find your uh speciality within the speciality and read in you know read other writers in working in that particular uh, field that you're working on. Mm. Uh, you see what I mean? Uh, mm. uh, whether contemporary or whether past uh, writers. Mm. Um, so let's say, for example, I'm interested in this idea of faith and uh, religion and in, in fiction. So I ha should read, I, I have read Dostoevsky, for example, he's one of the writers who does write about uh, religion and faith, mm. uh, Graham Greene, Muriel Spark, um, you know, uh, Jane Eyre, that's, uh, that's actually one of the books that has a lot of religion in it. So I then try and circle that. Uh, so and then in contemporary times, I would read um, Marilyn Robinson. Um, mm. I just read Gilead. 
Yes, it's wonderful, isn't it? It's wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, you know, um, uh, Doris Lessing, she's also someone who has an interest in spirituality. So I read a lot of her. Um, I, uh, Chigozi Obiyama's last novel was amazing, the, uh, An Orchestra of Minorities. Minorities. That's also, I haven't read that yet. Yeah. That's very that that's very very good. Also, in terms of the, the it, it shows the um, the Ibu religion, the idea of mm. the chi, and it's fascinating for me. Mm. Uh, so so yeah, I think that that everybody then, if they're, you know, you you try and read around what what ins, what fascinates you and what you, um, you know, what you're interested in. So. In a way, because <laughs> I was someone who who tried to do, I was doing a PhD in statistics actually, and I never, I never managed to do it. I got an end still, but I sometimes treat my writing as as a as an academic, um, you know, endeavor in the sense that what is the background reading? What is the literature review? So you're going and you're 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 covering what other writers have done in this particular area, and then you're moving on and doing something new. Hmm, that's very interesting. Mm. You see what I mean? So that's yeah. how, I mean, that's, that's what academics do, what, what scholars uh, do if you're doing a PhD. You're doing something new. You're coming up with something new. And how can you come up with something new if you haven't covered the literature review, if you haven't uh, looked at what other writers have done uh, in this particular um, area? You know, right. in this particular, you're zooming in on a particular area. Um, so I think that that would be, I think people should read uh, around their uh, subject matter. I think, I think, I mean, all these, um, it depends also how young you are. I mean, the younger you are, the more you can, you can read more. And I, I, I've recently got a lot of, um, maybe it's because of the lockdown, but I've been, contacted by young very young people or, or their parents saying oh you know my daughter's 14 and she wants to be a writer what what advice would you give her and I say just read read the classics mm. you know go for you know the, the big big books that that, that um, rather than focusing on 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 writing you know uh, and, and and people think oh you need to hone your skills and well I say well all that can be done um, you know, later on or, or whenever. It's not really about skills. It's better to 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 read at that young age. And um, and then as you as you as you go along, then you can you can then find out what is it that you enjoy reading the most, or what is it that you're you gravitate towards the most. Right. Mm. That's so insightful. Leila, thank you so much. Like, this has been awesome. Thank you for letting me slide into your DMs. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> I really appreciate it. And um, yeah, just thank you for the work that you do. Um, your voice as one of the most, literally one of the most significant writers, African writers um, in the world. Thank um, you. I'm so privileged to just like, listen to you and speak to you so thank you so much for the work that you do you're welcome you're welcome 
okay, take care of yourself, Leila. I hope the lockdown um, eases and that things go back to normal soon. And all the best with your new novel. Yes, you too. You too. And okay, Nicole. Okay, take care. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode. I personally learned so much from Leila, and my favorite part was about what you do when you feel like you're at a dead end. Just the simplicity of reversing and going in a different direction. Wow. I'm definitely going to use this approach from now on for writing and for my life. (laughs) Until next time, guys, stay safe and stay blessed.